So good day. My name is Mike Strong. I'm the uh, new president of the CIHR. Uh, and today is our first episode of On the Mic with Mike. Now, you wouldn't have heard about this yet. It's something brand new. And what we're going to be doing is talking to investigators from across Canada to try and get a bit of a sense for the excitement of their research, how they've gotten into the research field, and what they see for the future of it. And today, we just happen to be here in Ottawa. We're going to go for a cup of coffee with Katie Rayner, who is one of our investigators from here. So why don't you join me and let's have a chat with Katie. Well, listen, welcome here, Katie. Thank you. Uh, so for those who don't know, this is Katie Rayner, who's joining us today. <laughs> uh, this is the first um, of a series that we're looking to do within the CIHR uh, called On the Mic with Mike. Mm -hmm. uh, and the idea is, is that we're having conversations around the country with investigators at all stages of their career in all different areas of it to try and get a bit of a sense for why are you doing this? Mm -hmm. I, I mean, we all know we sit around a table and there's this level of excitement. We love what we're doing. Right, right. right. Um, it gives us opportunities that nobody else can do. Mm -hmm. um, but that's us. And so how do we actually communicate? Right, that with right. So that's what right. this is all about. Right, right, right. So thanks for joining me. It's uh, taking yeah. time out of your day. Yeah, of course. Such, so, yeah. Um, so listen, so how did you get into this? So for me, it was um, not necessarily, um, you know, I didn't have a moment like a lot of people did, like where... I was always a, a curious kid, you know, staring, you know, at things under the microscope, or I always loved to take things apart and put them back together again or anything like that. I don't think anybody would have said, looking back, that, you know, oh, I was, it was clear that she was going to become a scientist. I think it, you know, um, I always was very interested in science and medicine. Um, I sort of identified, by the time I was in high school, I kind of already knew that, like, plants were less exciting to me, but like the human body was very exciting. So, right. you know, I, I, science, not all of it was very exciting to me. So I already started to kind of maybe gravitate towards... Now, were there high school mentors or things that might have helped you along those lines? No, it wasn't that. I think at the end of the day, it's really about, you know, when you're looking at sort of the university catalog and you're right. sort of looking at what are your options. I think even now we don't do a great job at, at, at really exposing children at that age, you know, right. to the to the true professions that are out there with, with, with respect to science. So to me, it was kind of, you know, there was engineering or there was science or there was, you know, art or there was English or, you know, there was, it was very linear. Right. Um, and it was only when I got to university that I started to get exposed to these, you know, more kind of, you realize that medical research is in, in and of itself a, a right. field and, and, right. and a, it's, it's a path and it's a career. So that was sort of when I started getting involved was when I started to see these courses of learning about how disease works actually at the sort of molecular level. Right. Um, I was in a program at the University of Toronto that was called Lab Medicine and Pathobiology. And that was really the purpose was to teach not just biochemistry and memorize everything and spit it back out again, but really to sort of take that knowledge and apply it to human disease and human function and why do things work and how. Now, was that a, a full undergraduate program or was one of the courses within it? No, it was a full program. And it's okay. actually, yeah, so I was, I was a, a guinea pig in that program. I was the first year of it. Of it. So, okay. and the idea was, you know, can we introduce this concept of sort of medical, biomedical research to undergraduates? So we tend to leave that to graduate school or medical school right. when people have, you know, largely already decided a path to some extent. So the idea was introduce it earlier. And I mean, uh, many of us from that graduating class are actually researchers today, whether it be that we went to, you know, graduate school and then are right. in research or we did, you know, medical school, graduate school and are in research. But many of us. So was there, was there a time in the course of all of that when there's sort of that aha moment of, there's something beyond this degree. There's an opportunity. Certainly. I mean, when, when I when I learned that there was a such thing as like 
a biomedical research right. lab where you could go and, you know, manipulate cells in a dish and ask whether or not they, you know, a pathway was maybe contributing to a disease. I mean, that was just totally fascinating to me. The idea that we could do that, you know, with our hands mm. and we could do it. And so I started as an undergraduate student um, after my second year of university in a lab working and it was a cardiovascular lab. So it was sort of the beginning of my cardiovascular path. Okay. Um, and so that was kind of the first sort of the fact that these, these, you know, diseases had research labs associated with them. It wasn't just the physicians treating the disease right. that were sort of fixing the problem. It was, why does it happen to begin with? And so much of that we don't know. I mean, there's you know, so was, much we don't know. You know. It was the fact that, so now, I mean, you're, you're into cardiac research now. Mm-hmm. And, and so you just mentioned that you had a cardiac lab that you've been part and parcel. Yeah. Just Brownian motion, kind of random chance it worked out that way? Yeah. Or? I mean, I think that, um, you know, for me as, I mean, I'm not going to, most Canadian families deal with cardiovascular disease in some way. I mean, you know, 30% of the Canadian population suffers from heart disease right. in some way. So, I mean, we all are kind of affected by it. So certainly I'd had family members who'd had, who'd had, you know, cardiac issues. And then about halfway through my university, my mom was diagnosed with a, a myxoma on her heart, a tumor, a benign tumor on one of her atria. And so it was fine. There was no, I mean, she got surgery. There was no long lasting effects, but no one knew how it happened. Nobody knew why. Right. Is there a gene? Is it genetic? Do I have to worry about it? Should I get tested? Is it get, what's it going to mean? Right. Um, we all sort of in the family reacted differently. I, I took a very pragmatic approach right. to it. You know, I thought like, if we don't know that, like, do we know the cause? Or do we have a test? What do we, you know, what are we going to do? But it was, it was a moment where you kind of go, what do you mean we don't know how this happens? Right, and right. then you kind of realize, you step back and you realize there's so much of what we don't know, especially, I mean, cardiovascular disease is so common. How do we not know how it really happens? I mean, we, we know the surface, right. but we really don't know. We really don't know why, you know, the 38-year-old, still, still, yeah. still. I mean, everyone knows those stories, right? Where you have, you know, the... But, but my neighbor, you know, she bikes to work every single day. She's super healthy, and yet she had a heart attack. And everybody knows your neighbor who's, you know, 95, smokes a pack a day, and is, 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 is walking Perfectly around, fine. right? So yeah. those, if we knew it all, we would, we would understand those people, and we would know, but we don't. So if you look at that time, so that period of time in your life then where, boy, just full of curiosity, yeah. right? And, and so we've all been through it yeah. until we end up yes. where we are at the end of it. But then you have to make some really tough decisions, mm-hmm. right? Because mm-hmm. the road to being a researcher is not a short one. Right, right, right. And, right. you know, and it doesn't matter where you are in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there isn't 100% of people being mm-hmm. funded continuously. Mm-hmm. So you're entering into a very competitive field. So was there a moment in the beginning of this pathway when you kind of made the conscious decision and said, you know, I do want to go down that pathway. Mm. Can you remember yeah. that? I do definitely remember in graduate school. So I was starting a master's already. So I was already really interested enough to kind of say, okay, I want to do my master's right. in, in cardiovascular research and biochemistry. I was really unsure about whether or not I could sort of do it, whether right. or not, you know, I, I looked around, like you say, and I, I, I saw all of these people you know, struggling in some cases to sort of get their research funded and, and to get, you know, and I, and I, and I wasn't sure, but I, I knew I really, really liked it. So every time I thought of an alternative, it was, it was kind of, well, no, I, I don't really want to do that. And then, I mean, then it kind of becomes a, well, I'm just going to try, you know, I'm just going to have to go for it. And then it, you know, it starts off at the beginning of your career, you know, you, you apply for awards or you apply for scholarships and then, you know, they're really, really competitive. And if right. you don't get them, it can be really, really disheartening. Mm-hmm. And, then you may lose opportunities. You may not be able to go to the lab that you really wanted to go to or do that project you really wanted to do. So I was fortunate, you know, from the beginning to be funded, you know, and that made a big difference, you know, getting that 
that scholarship as a PhD student, you know, made all the difference in my in my research, my confidence, my of course ability to financially do the research, and then you know the ability to then continuously get funded. You know, you go to the next step, right? And you go to the next step. So, so it's yeah, going to be the next step then, right? Mm-hmm. So um, in particular, you know, as we look at science nowadays and sort of career paths, and right, so. Uh, you know, this, this concept that, yes, you're an undergraduate, do a, mm-hmm. a graduate degree, whether you do a combined master's, PhD, yep. or bleed across, however it works. But then if, if you're going to continue down mm-hmm. this pathway, you're going to be doing a postdoc, mm-hmm. right? Um, and now, nowadays, and certainly in my time, I think yep. yours as well, too, yep. you know, that's about the time you're starting to think about having families. Right. Yep. And, you know, at some point, uh, a little job security would be nice. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. So one of the questions I get a lot is, so how to make that decision? Right. What, so for you, yep. how did you, because you went to yep. Boston. Right? Yeah, yeah. So, big, I mean, that's a big change. Yeah, absolutely. And New York, and New York City, even uh, bigger. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So take us through that thinking. Well, you're absolutely right. And I think that um, that is probably the number one question I get as a female researcher from other women mm-hmm. are, when do I have a family? When do I, and you know what? I get it from men all the time as well. I mean, there are, you know, you know, people, as you say, are basically in a time when building a family is central to their mind and so is building their career. And somehow there's been made this impression like the two are not somehow compatible. But so, I mean, what what it took for me was seeing that it can be done, of course, so that, you know. I, I went to, you know, first Boston and then New York. Um, that, so I went to the same lab and we just physically moved from Boston to New York. So I sort of, it was, it was sort of one position in, in now, two we, cities. At that point, you were married at that point? I was married at that point, but no okay. children. All right. Yeah. And, and your husband in the research he, world? So well, no, or? he came along with me. So that's another thing okay. is that, you know, there's the whole idea where people have spouses, partners, families. Do you, what do you do? Do you right. move them? You know, do you uproot people? And I mean, that's a big thing that we that we yeah. sort of overlook sometimes when people are making career decisions. Right. So for me, we sort of, um, my husband was able to say, you know, he'll put his career on hold and, and be able to sort of just, I mean, he was able to find work and do everything right, right. great, you know, in the U.S. as well. But um, not everyone can do that, right? So I was fortunate in that respect. Um, and then really I met, so it, it all comes down to my, my postdoctoral mentor. So she, um, I, I knew her first by her name from her science. So I had read all of her papers and followed all of her work in the cardiovascular field. Then I met her in person at a conference and it was right around when I was looking for that next step. You know, do I go and I, I pursue the postdoctoral fellowship and do I make the leap? Um, and I met her and she was, you know, very nice, obviously, and, and, and enthusiastic and positive about, you know, the science, the work, the possibility. But then she received a call on her cell phone from her three-year-old child and said, could you just hang on a minute? I've just got to take oh, this call. Oh, really? Okay. And I remember distinctly going, oh, wow. It can be done. It can be done. Right. And it can be done. I mean, there's lots of ways it has to get. I mean, you right. can't naively think that it can get just get done like maybe other people can do it. Right. But certainly it can be done. And there are okay. ways and tricks and, 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 and things you can do. And that's basically what I did was I, I then just sort of learned from those around me who were, who were doing right. it. The mentorship was so essential to that piece was that not only scientifically was she, you know, the best mentor anyone could have ever had and continues to mentor me regularly. I mean, I'm in, I'm in, you know, mentors never go away. Um, But also from a personal point of view, I mean, to see the way somebody, you know, you know, builds their life professionally and personally and succeeds at both, you know, then you can say, well, you know, this is what could work for me and this is what maybe not work for me. And this is, these are the things that can do. So, I mean, mentorship is, is, totally key to that. So that's, I mean, that raises an interesting question, right? Because certainly, um, I think I'm a tad bit older than you, uh, but, um, you know, came through a period of time when if you were going to do science, if you're going to be a clinician mm-hmm. scientist or PhD, right, one of you gave up life 
Mm-hmm. Right? This was, you're going to be on a weekend. Mm-hmm. You're going to be working late at mm-hmm. night. The rejection, mm-hmm. you, just, mm-hmm. you have 24 hours to get over it. Yeah, right? yeah. And there was a certain bit of a, a lifestyle arrangement mm-hmm. that was in there. And my sense has been that's really evolved, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And so when I talk to a lot of uh, young people right now who are yep. thinking about research career, they remember that. They remember seeing, you know, the guys who were burned yeah. out and all the rest of yeah. that who just yeah. did this all the way. Yeah. They don't recognize that there is this balance that mm-hmm. can be struck mm-hmm. over time. Mm-hmm. And yet, once you're in the field, mm-hmm. right, it's very difficult to stay with that balance because we're competing every day, mm-hmm. right? We're competing mm-hmm. in our science, we're competing. Mm-hmm. So how do you do that? How do you maintain that balance and that competitive edge yeah. that keeps you as a very successful researcher? Right. So how do you do that? So I think the, the unifying sort of theme, uh, uh, you know, to, to answer that question would be asking for help. So whether it be from, you know, on the personal side, from, you know, family, friends, neighbors, whatever it takes to sort of, you know, manage your family life, but more importantly, probably on the research side to actually ask for help. So that means, you know, again, back to mentors. So again, my my postdoctoral mentor, Catherine Moore, she continues, as I say, to, to provide me help, but I have lots of mentors. I mean, I have people you know, professionally that, that mentor sort of my, you know, I, I want to, you know, maybe be in more leadership position. Mm-hmm. So you, you sort of pick their brain about this. You ask for their help. Um, obviously, my lab is, is an incredible resource for me. Um, I depend on them. I mean, I ask them, you know, guys, it's, it's, you know, grant deadline is coming up. I really need everybody to just be all in and let's help each other. And everyone is all in. So it's, we're all helping each other. So it's not, the solo person who has to stay late to finish their experiment because their project has to go to the next level. Right. Everyone is there together. It's complete teamwork. So that leads me to a question then, right? Still at the bench? So n- a little bit. So I, um, I made the mistake once of telling my lab that I really like doing animal studies. Yes, so they, okay. they, they wrote me into all of the, the sort of large animal experiments that we do. Right. So, you know, we have lots of tissue. So, we're, so we do preclinical models. So that, that involves animal right. testing and things like that. And we, you know, we have to do, that's a lot of data that we have to collect from, you know, multiple samples, multiple tissues, this kind of thing. So I'm, I'm, I'm in there with them for that. Um, and to be honest, it's fun because it's kind of this team event that we have that, you know, we, we joke that we compete, you know, who can, you know, who can take the cells fastest, who can do all these things. And it's a lot of fun. So I do do some of the work then. And then, you know, but, but I mean, they, they, they do it all. I'm, I'm just there as a, a, you know, to consult them and to really guide them and really, more about the, the, the questions they want to ask right. and the data as they interpret it as opposed to, you know, looking over their shoulder to seeing if, right. like, you know, their, their hands are in the right spot all See, the time. And that's, I mean, that's what's really intriguing about this, right? Because yeah. I know when I came through my postdoc, I think, we never talked about that. Right? Yeah. I saw yeah, it yeah. in my mentor. Same as you, yeah. my supervisor has remained yeah. my mentor yeah. for all of my life. Yeah, yeah. Uh, for all of it. But nobody ever sat down with me and said, you know, Mike, one day uh, you're going to have a lab. Yeah, right. right? And right. that lab's not going to actually allow you to do any work. Right, right. right. Because, right. A, you won't finish <laughs> yes, it. Yes, yes. And the techniques you're using are somewhat right. archaic. Yeah, right? yeah, so, yeah. Uh, yeah. Understood. Yeah. Right. But that phase of being a researcher where you actually get to think about mm-hmm. and what is the question we're starting yeah. to tackle and yeah. how, do we, how yeah. do we get people to help us yeah. get to that answer. Yeah. Um, and then it becomes a very broad community. Right. So as you've moved into that phase, yeah, you're yeah. not entirely there because yeah, yeah. I still let you do something, yeah, right? Yeah, 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 right. Um, but you will get there. And you know, but that is actually by far the most fun part of, right. of the work is actually thinking about the problem and thinking about, you know, what to do next. So, you know, sometimes, of course, it can be, you know, hard, but um, it's the most fun. So actually, about two or three years after I started my lab, I felt like for the first time I was really, truly sort of intellectually 
free right. to think about the biggest problems that we're, we right. were facing in our experiments. And the reason for that is because when we're, so for example, you know, as we know, obviously CIHR, you know, funds all of our research and, and you know, but we're, we're constantly sort of asking for funding for different things. And, you know, that can cause us to be a little bit, um, you know, disjointed in our thinking sometimes because we're trying to, you know, it's that really that little pet project we really want to get funded or it's that extra, the continuation of that other one that we want to get funded. So sometimes our, our thinking can be disjointed. So when I was secure in my funding, it was the first right. time I really kind of said, okay, so what do we just want to do? Right. What is the exciting question that needs to be answered? What so, is it? So let's, okay, exciting question, yeah. right? Yeah. All right, so, uh, you know, obvious bias right here. I also do micro right, work. Right, 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 right. right. Um, and to me, there aren't many other RNA species right. that are worth looking right. at. And maybe right. a few little ones, right? Yeah. So, I mean, in our, in our world, right? So, I mean, I too do work on microRNAs. Right. It's hard to explain to people mm, the yeah. excitement between our yeah. understanding right. and our, Thank you. For, you know, admittedly, most people yeah, think yeah. RNA is something that's really straight right. and just, it right. goes away. Yeah. But, but they can't see how that, which is really fundamental research mm -hmm. into a cellular biology, mm -hmm. then ultimately has any meaning for right. us later on right. in a disease state. Right. How do you grapple with that? How, right. do, you, how do you bring that conversation forward? So, uh, one of the things that I always sort of explain to people is that, you know, how we don't know how things work. And I, and I mean that in the most fundamental way. I mean, we don't know how, I mean, microRNAs are a perfect example. I mean, they were discovered, you know, 10, 15 years ago yep. as a completely new thing. So that's right. like saying, you know, DNA was discovered. It's it, it, its own right. thing, you know? Um, and the cells need it to, to, so all, you know, again, people think genetics, they think, okay, I know about genetics, they're passed on from like, you know, parent to child and so on. Um, and that controls the way that our, you know, our body functions. But then, you know, things like microRNAs then control that yeah. and they control the, what your genes do. And we didn't even know they existed 10 years ago, let alone that they might actually be causative right. in disease. So when you think about that, I, that's sort of where I, I sort of start. I say, you know, the thing about it is, you know, your genes, as much as there might be excitement about, you know, CRISPR and all this gene editing and cool right. stuff, ultimately, you know, it's pretty, they're pretty static sometimes, you know, at right. least, at least in, right. in sequence, but what they do and how they function is not static at all. You can modify that right. so easily. And one of the ways is actually through microRNAs. And the thing about it, part of why we know so much about microRNAs actually is because, you know, things to inhibit them or block their function were made available, you know, and tested sort of in, in, in preclinical models really early on. So that actually means that the technology is kind of keeping pace with the discovery in terms right. of their ability to be modulated during disease. But if I can be a, a bit of a challenge. Yeah, right? yeah. I mean, on the first, I think we both agree, you know, RNA is far more important than DNA. Right. Let's just yeah, cover yeah, that. Yeah, right? yeah, We're yeah, done. yeah, let's get that out of the way. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. We've just lost half our audience, right. but that's all right. Let's <laughs> <laughs> go along with that. But, so, and I agree with you. I mean, we're, you know, 10, 15 years max in terms yeah. of the understanding of it. And we seem to have come through this phase where everybody says, I have discovered the microRNA du jour. Yep. Uh, for di X disease, we're now done. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And yet, for me, it seems that every time we do that, mm -hmm. we're making a terrible mistake mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. the complexity of the interactions, Absolutely. of the regulatory. Yeah. yeah. So, and, and there are times I know when I sit in the lab and I'm looking at this and kind of right. going, "My God, sometime it has to end, and right. I have the answer." Right. 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 But in science, right. that doesn't happen. So you're at a point in your career, particularly in the, the whole cardiac myocyte, and mm -hmm, mm -hmm. right where. Um, this is just starting to, mm -hmm, to bloom. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. How do you deal with that mm -hmm. uncertainty mm -hmm. that there might be closure? 
Yeah, I mean, I think that, I mean, we had a, a, an example actually where we started working on a microRNA and it actually, you know, it, it got, you know, fairly advanced into sort of the, the clinical applications, meaning, you know, um, a company was really interested and, and they really wanted to apply it into the clinic. But actually, we didn't know enough about it yet, and it was only when we started to learn its complexity that we actually said, you know, everybody, you know, actually, it's not ready yet. So, I think that the um, the reality of the complexity is sometimes a little bit too. Um, it, it can be a barrier because we know what happens if you sort of jump in with two feet and you just, you know, use a drug because we think it, you know, it right. worked in mice or whatever it is, and we just need to do it. So knowing, I mean, I mean. You know, I think of the understanding of so much of what we do as, you know, a human chain and we're all linked together. Not one of our discoveries necessarily is the one that led to the thing, but it's actually our understanding that we all drag the field forward. So sometimes the this, you know, your contribution sometimes may seem like it, it, it may just kind of then end or it may just be put into the, you know, atmosphere and, and you don't know where it goes but you don't know what, where it's gonna go. So now that we're learning more about, I mean, you know, one of the coolest things I think is, is what cells make up tissue. So right. like, we think that in the heart, it should be muscle cells. Of course it is, there's lots of muscle cells that right. contract the heart, of course, but it's, you know, mostly endothelial cells in the heart, you know, compared to things like other, th like fibroblasts. These are things we didn't know before, but technology is teaching us. So why is that so, I mean, you're, you're yeah, yeah. Watching so this, why? Which, why is it so cool? About, it's two different cells. Give me a break. Right. But, right. Okay. Right. So, so everybody now has assumed that after you have a heart attack or, or if you have heart failure, it's right. because your the muscle cells have died because right. of a, a you know an event or, or an injury, and you have to repair the muscle cells. And of course, that makes intuitive sense. You need your heart to contract. You should repair the muscle. Right. However, imagine if in fact the reason for the function of your heart not being you know not being up to up to right. par is actually because the endothelial cells that have been, you know, not, not looked at is actually that they need to be repaired and they're the ones that actually have Can't been lost. Can you just lost. put new ones in? I mean, isn't somebody making them nowadays? Yeah, but the new ones they're making are, are cardiomyocytes. They're the muscle cells. They're right. not looking, they're not making new endothelial cells because we thought that the cells that were damaged were right. just the muscle cells. We didn't think right. that they were. So what, what do we know, right? So, so now we've learned that, you know, stem cell therapies that are, that are out there are, you know, have some benefit to the heart, but not as much as everybody thought there was going right. to. People thought that for sure you could transplant a stem cell, it would regenerate into right. a new muscle cell and the heart would get better. And it's just not working that well. Is it because we're, we're not, we're missing, we're, we're pushing them towards a muscle and we should be pushing them towards something else? Maybe, right. maybe we should be, you know, like you say, throwing in, you know, endothelial cells and maybe things would get better. Right. So, but until we knew that the cells were there, what they, you know, what they were, we would have no idea. Same thing with um, with arrhythmias. You know, a lot of people have atrial fibrillation and the sort of electroconduction problems with their right. heart. Turns out, your your the electrical conduction system of your heart is lined with immune cells. They didn't even know. People didn't even know there were immune cells there. Right. And they're actually communicating with the neurons that are actually you know um, causing the stimulation of the heart. Right. So now step back and you think, well, now that we know that there's immune cells all over the electrical conduction system, maybe it's immune therapy we need to give people when they have atrial fibrillation, not. Right you know, electrically shocking them and hoping to trick the heart to go back into rhythm, you know, maybe. Right. So it could actually completely flip the approach to therapy right. if we just know the basics of what it is that we don't know. And I mean, that's, those are just examples, so, you know? Now let's circle back to the beginning, right? Yeah. Did you have any inkling you'd be that excited about what you were doing when you were 18? 
Oh, yeah. I mean, I think I think I've always been somebody who, you know, it's the curiosity right. that's really like it's the what do you what do you mean? You know, and, and, and sometimes the frustration, to be right. honest, you know, you kind of you know, you see something and you, and you go, well, why don't we know more about it? Like, why don't we know something that, you know, that I see around me all the time and, and you know, I deal with and other people deal with is, is mental health. Right. Why don't we know more about right. the pathologies that contribute to mental health? Right. Why don't we know? Why don't we know the interactions? Why don't we know the biology? Why do people not get the right medicine? It's because we don't know. So things like that, it, you, you can see how that yeah. can really shape you into what, into you know, how you do either your, your research or career, or in my case, both, you know, but um, yeah. So, this, so I'm gonna ask you some off the wall questions here. Right? Yeah. Things that always fascinate me to see what, so imagine you go back in time, mm -hmm. right? In science, mm -hmm. and this is like anywhere back you yeah. wanna go. Mm -hmm. Who do you wanna talk to? Oh, that's a great question. Um, the obvious choice for me is Roland Franklin. I want to know what it was like working with Watson and Crick. I want to know, was it, you know, what happened? You know, did she, who, what did those meetings, how did they go? You know, what, what happened? Now for those you who know? don't know who she is, Watson yeah. and Crick, right? But, yeah. But who's Roslyn? So Roslyn Franklin do? is sort of the, uh, uh, the you know, un, uh, unsung hero discoverer of DNA. She was overlooked for her contributions to the structure of DNA. So this double helix, that structure that we all know and love um, that I you know, have on, on my sweatshirts at home. Um, you know, she was not acknowledged for her contribution to this. So we all know, so Watson and Crick were given the Nobel Medal, right. a Nobel Prize. We, you know, we, we know their names, they, 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 you know, their, their names are all over buildings and you know, Rosalind Franklin was. And I mean, you know, largely because she was a woman and a, lar a lot of the belief in the, the, the way that these, uh, the, the sort of the facts rolled out is that you know, much of that structure came from her work and they sort of built on it. So that would be fascinating to me to learn, you know, compared to how we know now, you know, how much things have changed, not all things, but a lot has changed, you know, what, what was it like then to have that? What did what really happened? You right. know, how did that? How did that? But go? that would have been when fifty years ago. Yeah. Right? Oh, more. Yeah. At yeah. Least yeah. With that? yeah. 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 Right? Yeah. And so labs at that point are completely. Right? We were yeah. still spooling DNA. Yeah. Didn't know what it was. Right? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So yeah. Would yeah. she have known what was coming down? The no. Pipe, I mean, so to speak? you know, I think I think um, we often assume that um, sometimes the status quo as things used to be. We often right. use it as you know, somewhat of an excuse of forgiveness to say, well, that was, you know, how things were back then. Right. But most of the time, the people who weren't sort of given the fair shake know perfectly right. well that they're not being given a fair shake. So, you know, I would say that um, even now, if I were to transport myself back in right. time to talk to her, there'd still be very much an element Could of, give her you know, shake and say, yeah, you know, I think she knew perfectly well that, <laughs> that there was, on? there was a, an injustice right. as, as, as I said, as it, as it can continue to happen right. now. And yet, you know, it, it, it stopped. So. Let me ask you a second question. Mm -hmm. Most, in, most important, in your view, most yeah. important discovery, period. Period. Um, that's a tough one. Uh, I'm gonna go with, I'm gonna go with, I'm, it sounds un, uh, uninteresting, but still microRNAs. I still okay. think, that the idea that a, an entire class of sort of molecules in a cell remained completely obscure until really, you know, 15 right. years ago is still, you know, shocking to me and amazing. And then that it, it, it has, you know, 
in the in the short term has answered a lot of questions. Right. And I, I think in the in the long term is going to answer even more okay. as we learn more about it, how they actually do their job. You know, I think how we think they do their job is is, is rather narrow. Um, but I do think that the fact that that I think that will change the way that we understand how cells communicate. I mean, the fact that these microRNAs are spat out by a cell and they get communicated to another cell and get taken up and they function there. Right. That's even more recent, though. Right? It's even more recent. Right. So I mean, you think about all that stuff that we're building. I think we're going to look back at that discovery of these, you know, and, and it, maybe it's a, it's a point of also just non-coding RNA in general, the idea mm, that right. DNA equals RNA equals protein, that sort of dogma, right. you know, has now kind of been t turned right back around. I think that is going to be, you know, a, a complete, has been a game changer, but will right. continue to be like even more so a game changer. Okay. Well, final question too, right? So you've got a young family. Mm -hmm. Do you talk about this at the dinner table? Do they know what you do? Oh, yes. Yeah? Okay. <laughs> oh, yes. In fact, um, my son was sick last week, and so he's seven, and my, uh, my daughter was asking me, you know, why he's sick. And I said, well, you know, we have the little bugs that go around, yeah. and, and, and she was very confused that bugs, she's four. Okay. Um, and she, um, you know, says, well, what do you mean? And I said, no, no, they're not bugs. They're like, they're like you know, germs, and I explained. Well, we got right into it. You know, what are immune cells? What do they do? How do you know if you're winning? How do you know if the if the if the germs are winning? I mean, we we are right into it. You know, we they know what DNA is. They know what genes are. Um, they think it's fascinating. Right. They think it's so interesting. Do they come into the lab with you? They have done. Yeah, yeah they, they have they, done. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. They and they don't. They certainly don't get that. You know, right. and I, I've sort of explained. You know, when you do an experiment, and and sometimes my son would ask me like, "What did you do today?" Right. And I would say, "Well." I wrote a grant and I went to a meeting and I yes. took a conference call. I mean, those are not very exciting things. Right. So he would say, well, what did you discover today? Oh, really? And, and so I, oh yeah. And right, he would, right. he would do this even younger. So I, and I, I sort of, it would put me on the spot a lot because right. I would, I would kind of go, well, well nothing, you know? Right. So I'd find myself, you know, kind of explaining, well, what was the conference call about? And so I'd say, well, you know, we're having this, uh, we have this research project where we want to look at someone's DNA in their cells and we want to find out if it's causing the cells to die more than the other cells. And, and he would say, oh my gosh, mommy, that's so cool. So then I, I started to kind of just introduce the language Great. to them about, you know, as simple as possible. But yeah, no, cool. it, we talk about it all the time. Oh, great. So, Katie, I really appreciate having coffee with you in this chat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it was great. A, I mean, we share a bit of a research interest yeah, anyways, but at the yeah. end of the day, yeah. uh, this is really exciting stuff yeah, that you're doing. Yeah, great. Thank so, thank you. you very much. Thanks for, a lot. Right? It was lots of fun. Thank you. <laughs> maybe, I don't know, maybe we'll get you a grant. Yeah, maybe. That'd be nice. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Good. <laughs> <laughs> Well, listen, that's it for uh, this first edition on, <laughs> on the Mic with Mike. Um, I do want to say thank you to everybody who's helped, Katie, for joining us here today. The name On the Mic with Mike, actually, um, I have to say sincere thanks to Colin Fiore, um, who actually came up with this name uh, for us. So, Colin, thank you, and to all of you, uh, we'll see you on future editions of this. So, take care.